Testing, one, two, three. Testing, one, two, three. This is Radio Free Mormon, on the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode, Little Trouble in Big China. At the end of the last session of General Conference, April 2020, the most recent General Conference, President Nelson shocked the Latter-day Saints by announcing a temple in Shanghai, China, i.e. in the People's Republic of China. Not only did this announcement shock the Latter-day Saints, but it appears to have also shocked the Chinese government, who shortly thereafter repudiated President Nelson's announcement and said he must be dreaming there isn't going to be any temple here in mainland China. Let's go first to the announcement made by President Nelson and see what he had to say when he made this announcement. Play the tape. Now let's talk about temples. We have 168 dedicated temples across the world. Others are at various stages of planning and construction. When plans are announced to erect a new temple, it becomes part of our sacred history. Now this part is interesting to me. President Nelson notes that even though we have 168 actual physical temples across the world, that others are at various stages of planning and construction. Now various stages of planning and construction can cover a lot of ground. It can cover temples that are actually under construction. It can also cover temples that are in the planning stages, and it can cover temples that have been announced, but really no planning has commenced and no land has been identified or purchased for the constructing of the temple. In fact, according to Wikipedia, there are 168 dedicated temples, just as President Nelson said, but there are a total of 225 temples. When you add up all the temples, both those that have been completed and dedicated and those that have simply been announced, and when you subtract 225 from 168, that means that there are 57 temples that have been announced that have not yet been completed and dedicated. Of those 57, only 16 are under construction and fully 41 of those announced temples are not yet under construction. It seems that President Nelson may be more interested in announcing temples than he is in actually constructing them. For example, in the October 2018 General Conference, that's a year and a half ago, President Nelson announced the intent to construct 12 more temples, putting the church's total number of temples operating under construction or announced above 200. I don't know if it's President Nelson's intent to get over that magic number of 200 that is prompting him to announce temples in what appear to be record numbers, or if it is his desire to make it appear that the LDS church continues to expand and grow across the world. But objectively speaking, I would have to say that there is a big difference between simply announcing a temple and building a temple. By contrast, if we look at Gordon B. Hinckley's administration between the brief building period from 1998 to 2001, so just in that three or four year period, 38 temples were constructed and dedicated. Now these of course are the smaller temples and yet they are actual temples. They are temple buildings. 38 were constructed and dedicated and that met President Hinckley's goal of having 102 dedicated temples before the year 2000 closed. During President Hinckley's time as president, the number of temples more than doubled from 47 to 124. That's a lot of temples. So what we may be seeing here is a competition of sorts between President Nelson and President Hinckley. But whereas President Hinckley actually constructed a record number of temples, President Nelson seems to have to be content with merely announcing a record number of temples. This may be a simple case of temple envy. 
I remember that in 1982, the Freiburg Germany Temple was announced. That caused quite a stir because Freiburg was behind the Iron Curtain in East Germany. That temple was announced in October of 1982 and it was dedicated less than three years later, actually two and a half years later approximately, in June of 1985. If we look at the list of temples that have been announced but are not under construction, and by the way, it looks like all of these are being announced by Russell M. Nelson. This is going to take Cracker Jack timing, Wang. Total concentration. You ready, Jack? I was born ready. Russell M. Nelson seems to be a habit of announcing temples. Here is a list of the 41 temples that have been announced but that are not under construction. Leighton, Utah, Alabang, Philippines, Auckland, New Zealand, Feather River, California, Harara, Zimbabwe, Brasilia, Brazil, Nairobi, Kenya, Salta, Argentina, Bengaluru, India, Managua, Nicaragua, Cagayan de Oro in the Philippines, Russia. Now this is an interesting temple that was announced by President Nelson on April of 2018. There is not even a city that is associated with a temple that has been announced in Russia. So if there is no city that is associated with this, I think it's a good bet that real estate has not even been purchased for the building of this temple. They're still trying to figure that part out. But for whatever reason, Russell and Nelson made the announcement of a temple in Russia in April 2018. That's two years ago. And according to my information, on the Wikipedia article for the list of temples of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there is not yet a city that has been chosen in Russia for the building of this temple. There's another one in Mendoza, Argentina, Salvador, Brazil, Phnom Penh, Cambodia, Lagos, Nigeria, Davao, Philippines, Washington County, Utah, Pago Pago, American Samoa, Okinawa, Japan. Once again, reading off the list of the 41 temples that have been announced by President Russell M. Nelson but are not yet under construction. And in fact, for these temples that I'm reading now, groundbreaking has not even been scheduled. There's Okinawa, Japan, Neafu, Tonga, Tooele Valley, Utah, Moses Lake, Washington, San Pedro, Sula, Honduras, Antofagasta, Chile, Budapest, Hungary, Freetown, Sierra Leone, Orem, Utah, Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea, Bentonville, Arkansas, Bacolod, Philippines, McAllen, Texas, Coban, Guatemala, Taylorsville, Utah, and now we come to the latest list of temples that were announced in April 2020 General Conference. There is one in Bahia Blanca, Argentina, one in Tallahassee, Florida, one in Lubumbashi, Democratic Republic of the Congo, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Benin City, Nigeria, Syracuse, Utah, Dubai, United Arab Emirates. And finally, we get to number 225 with a bullet, Shanghai, People's Republic of China. So as I say, at this point in time, as of Wednesday, May 6, 2020, we have 168 temples that have actually been completed and 57 more temples that are announced but not completed. In fact, there are 168 dedicated temples, 16 that have been announced and are under construction, and 41 that are announced but not yet even under construction for a total of 200 and 25 temples. Doing a little math here on this, and remember, you are forewarned, my math is terrible, but it looks like fully 18% of that total of 225 temples are not yet even under construction. That's almost a full fifth of the total number of 225 temples that have been announced that are not built, not under construction, but have only been announced and are not yet even under construction. It does seem that President Nelson is trying to make a point here. 
that's on the reflexes. But President Nelson does say that when plans are announced to erect a new temple, it becomes part of our sacred history. So from President Nelson's point of view, if we dissect the sentence, it is not the actual dedication of a temple. That is important for his purposes. It is not the dedicated temple that becomes part of our sacred history. It is just announcing the plans for a temple that become part of our sacred history. And I guess we can see why, considering that fully 41 out of the total of 225 are only announced and construction has not even commenced. He then says, More than a century ago, President Wilford Woodruff foresaw conditions such as ours today, as recorded in his dedicatory prayer of the Salt Lake Temple given in 1893. Some of you may have seen excerpts from this remarkable prayer on social media. Hear these pleadings from a mighty prophet of God, quote, When thy people shall not have the opportunity of entering this holy house, and they are oppressed and in trouble, surrounded by difficulties, and shall turn their faces towards this holy house, and ask thee for deliverance, for help, for thy power to be extended in their behalf, we beseech thee to look down from thy holy habitation in mercy and listen to their cries. Or, when the children of thy people shall be separated through any cause from this place, and they shall cry unto thee from the depths of their affliction and sorrow to extend relief and deliverance to them, we humbly entreat thee to hearken to their cries and grant unto them the blessing for which they ask. Close quote. So here President Nelson is going to read part of the dedicatory prayer of the Salt Lake Temple in 1893 given by President Wilford Woodruff. And he's going to put this forward as an example of how it is that President Woodruff was a real prophet. He could really see into the future and that he foresaw conditions such as ours today when because of this worldwide pandemic, all of the LDS temples would be closed. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. Now, there are a number of ellipses in that quote that President Nelson read from the dedicatory prayer of the Salt Lake Temple. Fortunately, we can go to the actual text of the Salt Lake Temple dedicatory prayer, and we can find why it is that ellipses were added and that these certain parts were chosen as opposed to to other parts. I mean, one gets the idea, just historically speaking, that President Woodruff was probably thinking about temples being closed and members not being able to go to temples because of oppression that they received from the United States government as opposed to a coronavirus pandemic over 100 years later. And indeed, when we look at the text of this very lengthy dedicatory prayer, we can see that that is probably actually what he was talking about. For instance, President Woodruff says this in his prayer, O God of Israel, turn thy face, we pray thee, in loving kindness toward thy stricken people of the house of Judah. They are currently stricken. This isn't just a future prophecy. This is going on then and there. O deliver them from those that oppress them. Hmm, I wonder who that could be. Can you say the United States government? I knew you could. Heal up their wounds, comfort their hearts, strengthen their feet, and give them ministers after thine own heart who shall lead them as of old in thy way. May the days of their tribulation soon cease. See, this is the tribulation they're undergoing right then. May the days of their tribulation soon cease, and they be planted by thee in the valleys and plains of their ancient home. Now, referring to the Latter-day Saints, in the same paragraph, President Woodruff prays, 
May Israel, that's the LDS church, by the way, in this context, may Israel no more bow the head or bend the neck to the oppressor, but may his feet be made strong on the everlasting hills, which is the Rocky Mountains, as you know, nevermore by violence to be banished therefrom, and the praise and the glory shall be thine. He then has a nice paragraph about the Native Americans, and I guess I can understand why this paragraph was not quoted by President Nelson. Remember in like pity the dwindling remnants of the house of Israel, descendants of thy servant Lehi. Restore them, we pray thee, to thine ancient favor. Fulfill in their completeness the promises given to their fathers, and make of them, drumroll please, a white and delightsome race. Yeah, I can see why that was left on the cutting room floor. And then we get to the paragraph that President Nelson did quote, although he had to use a lot of ellipses in quoting this paragraph. Heavenly Father, when thy people shall not have the opportunity of entering this holy house to offer their supplications unto thee, and they are oppressed and in trouble, surrounded by difficulties, or assailed by temptation. Oh, wait a second. Surrounded by difficulties, or assailed by temptation, got left out. (laughs) President Nelson doesn't mention the or assailed by temptation part. Now, as I look at this quote, what President Nelson is doing with this quote from President Woodruff is very interesting. He is partially quoting different parts of the same paragraph in order to do his best to make it sound like President Woodruff is indeed foreseeing a day like today when the temples are closed due to the coronavirus pandemic. But one thing you'll note first off is that nowhere in here does it say that the temples will be closed. Instead, it talks about a future time when perhaps the children of thy people in years to come shall be separated through any cause from this place. So they are separated from the place. They're somewhere far away. They might be overseas. He doesn't know. He's just putting it up there as a possibility. And at the beginning, when President Woodruff is quoted as saying, when thy people shall not have the opportunity of entering this holy house, what is left out is that they are going to enter the holy house to offer their supplications unto thee. So President Woodruff is talking about people not having the opportunity of entering this holy house, the Salt Lake Temple, to offer their supplications unto thee. The supplications part gets cut out because we want to focus on the ordinances. And they are oppressed and in trouble, surrounded by difficulties, or, and this part is the second set of ellipses, or assailed by temptation. So not just prevented from entering the house because of being surrounded by difficulties, but also because of being assailed by temptation. Of course, they could be prevented from entering the house because they are not worthy because they have succumbed to the temptation by which they are assailed. That part gets taken out of the quote when it is given by President Nelson. So it sure looks like President Nelson is doctoring this quote to make it sound as much as he possibly can like a prophecy of the closure of temples because of the coronavirus pandemic. Why would President Nelson do such a thing? Maybe because the doctored version sounds a lot more like an accurate prophecy than the undoctored version. So it appears that not only President Nelson foresaw the coronavirus pandemic, but even Wilford Woodruff foresaw it over 100 years ago as demonstrated by this quote from the dedicatory prayer of the Salt Lake Temple. President Nelson makes this connection clear in the next part of his talk. Brothers and sisters, During times of our distress, when temples are closed, you can still draw upon the power of your temple covenants and endowment as you honor your covenants. Now let's go to the next part where President Nelson actually announces the new temple locations. Today we are pleased to announce plans to construct eight new temples in the following locations. Bahia Blanca, Argentina, Tallahassee, Florida, Lubumbashi, Democratic Republic of the Congo, 
Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Benin City, Nigeria, Syracuse, Utah, Dubai, United Arab Emirates, and Shanghai, People's Republic of China. In all eight locations, church architects will work with local officials so that the temple will harmonize with and be a beautiful addition to each community. The plan for a temple in Dubai comes in response to their gracious invitation, which we gratefully acknowledge. There it is, the announcement of the temple in Shanghai, People's Republic of China. The plan for a temple in Dubai comes in response to their gracious invitation, which we gratefully acknowledge. Okay, hang on a second. Are we really to expect that Dubai, out of nowhere, went to the LDS church or called him up on the phone and said, hey, we got a great idea. We'd like to invite you to build a temple here. Is that really the way it happened, President Nelson? There wasn't any kind of lobbying going on or any kind of delegations from the LDS church going over to Dubai to try and get them to agree to do this? Is this really the way it happened? From the way you announce it, it sure sounds like it, but I've got my doubts. The plan for a temple in Dubai comes in response to their gracious invitation. Yeah, they graciously invited after we did all the legwork in order to get them on board. Now, for the Shanghai Temple announcement, this has a lot of language associated with it. Play the tape. Context for the plan for Shanghai is very important. For more than two decades, temple-worthy members in the People's Republic of China have attended the Hong Kong China Temple. But in July 2019, that temple was closed for long-planned and much-needed renovation. In Shanghai, a modest multi-purpose meeting place will provide a way for Chinese members to continue to participate in ordinances of the temple in the People's Republic of China for them and their ancestors. In every country, this church teaches its members to honor, obey, and sustain the law. We teach the importance of the family, of being good parents and exemplary citizens. Because we respect the laws and regulations of the People's Republic of China, the church does not send proselyting missionaries there, nor will we do so now. Expatriate and Chinese congregations will continue to meet separately. The church's legal station status there remains unchanged. In an initial phase of facility use, entry will be by appointment only. The Shanghai Temple will not be a temple for tourists from other countries. Now, why is this context important for the plan for the Shanghai Temple? And why is it so important that President Nelson announce it in general conference? As he goes over all the caveats and all the restrictions and all the things that this temple in Shanghai does not mean, one gets the impression that he is talking more to the Chinese government than he is to the Latter-day Saints. He wants to make sure that the Chinese government understands, that President Nelson understands, that this is not a new temple. This is not even a church building, apparently. This does not allow non-Chinese citizens to come to China to attend the temple. And it sure as heck doesn't mean that the Chinese government is going to allow Mormon missionaries to come in 
and preach the gospel to its citizens. So please notice this is not a stake center. This is not a ward building. This is a modest, multi-purpose meeting place. So how are there members of the LDS Church in mainland China if there are no missionaries there and if religion is frowned upon as it definitely is in communist China? Well, at the church's website, they have a special page dealing with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in China. And the answer is very simply this. Many individuals from the People's Republic of China have joined the LDS Church while living in other countries. See, they go to other countries to study, possibly to work. And while they are in other countries, they are exposed to missionaries and other members. They end up joining the church. That's how citizens of mainland China become members of the LDS Church. It's not while they're in mainland China. It's while they're in other countries. And then many of these Chinese members remain where they have been working or studying, i.e. outside of mainland China. But many also return to China. Okay, so that's how they get there. That's why there are Chinese members of the church in mainland China. And they do not know how to find the church in their country and may not understand how they should comply with Chinese laws in relation to religious practice. So the purpose of this website, which once again is an official LDS Church website, that's how I found it, is to answer frequently asked questions by People's Republic of China church members outside China and by church leaders who work around the world with those members. It gives needed basic information for People's Republic of China citizens returning to China, including whom to contact for information, attend Sunday church meetings, and encouragement to observe relevant Chinese laws. Over the years, the church has built a strong relationship of trust with the People's Republic of China by always respecting the laws and traditions of that country. This statement doesn't fill me with a lot of warm fuzzies because there's a lot of laws in the People's Republic of China which should not be respected. Laws dealing with religious minorities and political dissidents that should not be respected. You know, over my 40 years as being a member of the church, from time to time I hear the statement made, and we're going to hear it here again from President Nelson, that the church encourages its members in every country to respect and abide by the laws of that country. And that's what makes you, one of the many things that makes you a good Mormon. It makes you a good Latter-day Saint. But that idea is not based in the LDS scriptures. It is true that the Doctrine and Covenant says that citizens should respect and abide by the laws of the country in which they live. But there is an important caveat to that. And it is a caveat that should not be forgotten, but seems to be continually forgotten by many members of the church up to and including President Nelson. And that caveat is that so long as that country of which that person is a member, so long as that country guarantees and protects the constitutional rights of its citizens, then and only then is the Latter-day Saint supposed to respect and abide by the laws of that country. Let me see if I can find this for you in my triple combination. Here it is from section 134 of the Doctrine and Covenants, which is titled The Declaration of Belief Regarding Governments and Laws in General. Adopted by unanimous vote, wow, I guess that's back when the law of common consent actually meant something. Adopted by unanimous vote at a general assembly of the church held at Kirtland, Ohio, August 17th, 1835. And this is what it states. I'm just going to read the first couple of verses. We believe that governments were instituted of God for the benefit of man and that he holds men accountable for their acts in relation to them, both in making laws and administering them for the good and safety of society. Now verse 2. We believe that no government can exist in peace 
except such laws are framed and held inviolate as will secure to each individual the free exercise of conscience, the right and control of property, and the protection of life. And now verse 3. We believe that all governments necessarily require civil officers and magistrates to enforce the laws of the same, and that such as will administer the law in equity and justice should be sought for and upheld by the voice of the people, if a republic, or the will of the sovereign. Now, let's skip verse 4 and go to verse 5, because this is the key verse here. Having set the stage with the prior verses, it goes on to state this. We believe that all men are bound to sustain and uphold the respective governments in which they reside, while protected in their inherent and inalienable rights by the laws of such government, and that sedition and rebellion are unbecoming every citizen thus protected. So in other words, yeah, the LDS Church teaches, in its scriptures at least, if not by the pronouncement of modern prophets, that Latter-day Saints are bound to uphold the governments of the countries in which they reside, but only while they are protected by those governments in their inherent and inalienable rights. And I've got a sneaking suspicion that the People's Republic of China does not fit that definition, that they do not protect their citizens in their inherent and inalienable rights, and that therefore their law should not be respected, followed, or obeyed President Nelson, at least not according to the scriptures that are contained in your copy of the Doctrine and Covenants. As to the Army and Navy and the battles they have won, as to America's colors, the colors that never run. May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. Verse 5 concludes with the same sentiment, and that all governments have a right to enact such laws as in their own judgments are best calculated to secure the public interest, at the same time, however, holding sacred the freedom of conscience. So, leaving out that very important caveat, in section 134, verse 5 of the Doctrine and Covenants, we frequently find it truncated to read as it does here on the Church's website about the People's Republic of China, where it says, The Church teaches its members in each country to obey, honor, and sustain the law. Well, that's true, but not in the People's Republic of China. At least not if we are still moored to our scriptural foundation as set forth in the Doctrine and Covenants. But it appears that as with the Law of Common Consent, we don't really practice the principles set forth in our scriptures, but we do give them lip service. I mean, it's a little bit funny to have an American church like the LDS Church teaching that members should obey the laws of whatever country they're in, regardless of what those laws are, when the United States of America itself was founded on exactly the opposite principle. If the colonists had followed the teachings of President Nelson, there never would have been a revolution, and hence, no LDS church for him to be the president of. And don't even get me started on Hitler's Germany. Recent questions and answers back to the website. When would a meeting place in Shanghai become available? Well, you mean there's no meeting places in Shanghai? Apparently not, because the answer to that question is, details of this kind will be shared as they become available. Well... Doesn't look like there's a lot of details there. Doesn't look like doesn't look like there's any meeting places in Shanghai. It goes on with the July 2019 closure of the Hong Kong China Temple for long plan maintenance and renovation. A multi-use meeting place in Shanghai would provide a way for Chinese members of the church to continue participating in the ordinances of the House of the Lord in the People's Republic of China. So this is now updated to reflect what it is that President Nelson was talking about, but it doesn't say that a multi-use meeting place in Shanghai will provide a way or is providing a way. It sounds like it's something that's speculative and in the future. A multi-use meeting place in Shanghai would provide a way for Chinese members of the church 
to continue participating in the ordinances of the House of the Lord in the People's Republic of China. What would a facility look like? Hmm, I'm wondering what the answer to that question is. It would be modest in appearance. It would fit and be consistent with local custom and environment as a place of peace, tranquility, and dignity. Hmm, okay. Well, that's what it would look like. Apparently, there's nothing to describe as it does look like now. Who will be allowed to enter? Entry will be limited to Chinese members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints holding a valid recommend. That makes sense. These Chinese members will have a membership record in the China Administrative Unit of the Church. Ooh, boy, can you say the marriage between church and state? Yeah, nobody does it like the Chinese, or like the LDS Church for that matter, or will reside outside of China, but hold a valid People's Republic of China passport. Chinese church members with a mainland travel permit for Hong Kong and Macau residents and a valid recommend may also enter. In an initial phase of facility use, entry will be made by appointment only. Such a facility will not be a tourist destination even for church members with a recommend. So this is exclusively a modest multi-purpose building, i.e. not a temple, but a building that is planned on being used as a temple. Obviously, the Chinese government is not okay with the LDS Church having a separate building that is called a temple. What would the purpose be of such a facility? Oh yeah, well, there, there it just talks about the basic purposes of a temple. But it's interesting the way it puts it. Consistent with established church practice, activities in such a facility strengthen families, bless marriages, and honor ancestors. Oh yes, we honor the ancestors. That's very important to have in there for the Chinese government. You can tell that. It is also a place that teaches virtuous moral standards, values, and covenants. Yes, lots of virtue going on in the temple. Are you hearing us, Beijing? Has the legal status of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints changed in the People's Republic of China? Does this indicate a coming change in the formal legal recognition of the Church in the People's Republic of China? I've got a feeling the answer to this question is going to be a big fat no. And I'm right. No, this does not represent a change in the legal status of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. No, this does not indicate a coming change in the formal legal recognition of the Church in the People's Republic of China. Consistent with current practice, expatriate and local Chinese congregations will continue to meet separately in provisional leased facilities. And once again, it states this unscriptural doctrine that around the world, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints teaches its members to obey, honor, and sustain the law, to be good parents and exemplary citizens, and to make positive contributions to society. In every place, the church is politically neutral. Well, I guess that's every place except for Utah. Will the church send missionaries to proselyte in the People's Republic of China? Once again, I got a feeling the answer is going to be no. Click on the question. No, I'm right. Consistent with our working with Chinese authorities to understand and obey Chinese laws, policies, and practices, the church does not send, nor does it plan to send missionaries to proselyte in the People's Republic of China. So obviously, China's saying a big no to Mormon missionaries. How do members prepare to participate in the Lord's House? Not even interested in that one. Is instruction in the Lord's House consistent with traditional Chinese culture and values? Of course, they're going to say yes. Well, let's just check. Yes, I'm right. And where can I find more information about the church in the People's Republic of China? Now, that's going to be an interesting one. Information about the LDS Church in the People's Republic of China in English, simplified Chinese characters and traditional Chinese characters can be found at oh, china.churchofjesuschrist.org. So there's no place in the Republic of China that you can go to to find information about the LDS Church. If you want to find out about it, you've got to go to china.churchofjesuschrist.org. 
There's a question down here of, can my friends be taught and baptized in China? The answer is not at present. So not only are Mormon missionaries not welcome in China, you can't even be talking about the gospel in a proselytizing way to your friends. Friends cannot be taught and baptized in China. Are there any activities that I should pay attention to avoid? I.e., are there any things I really, really can't do in China? Hmm. Please do not distribute any church literature or other religious materials. Please do not seek to attend church meetings with foreign church members, and please do not set up religious-based social media accounts, blogs, microblogs, WeChat public number, video site, internet accounts, etc., that could be misunderstood as trying to promote the church in China. There will be no promotion of the LDS church in China. And frankly, I think this is where President Nelson got in trouble with announcing this pseudo-temple in China, is that he was misunderstood as trying to promote the church in China. And frankly, he kind of was promoting the church in China, even with all the caveats he gives. Church members can take only one copy of each church magazine or church material for personal use in China. To avoid any misunderstanding, please do not send church magazines or church materials by mail or through the internet. So yeah, we're all one big happy family here. And you know, here's <laughs> and you know, here's the really funny thing is that there's a question before that that says, "What is the status of the church in China?" And the answer is, the Constitution of the People's Republic of China guarantees freedom of religious belief to its citizens. Religious practices, however, are subject to a variety of rules and regulations. So yeah, you can believe whatever you want, but you better not be talking to your friends about the Mormon church or there's going to be hell to pay. Well, there's a lot of questions and answers on this page. I'm not going to go through all of them. But let's get back to President Nelson's talk, shall we? In every country, this church teaches its members to honor, obey, and sustain the law. And interestingly, there's a footnote there, but the footnote does not go to Doctrine and Covenants section 134. No, instead, it goes to Article of Faith, chapter 1, verse 12. We believe in being subject to kings, presidents, rulers, and magistrates, and obeying, honoring, and sustaining the law. If you take that Article of Faith and completely unmoor it from section 134, then yes, you can be led into all sorts of political problems. This is almost like a carte blanche. That if a government is unethical and immoral and has unethical and immoral laws, then it's okay for you to follow those unethical and immoral laws which cause you to act unethically and immorally because following the law of the government in which you reside is more important. And not only is it okay for you to follow those laws as a good Mormon, you are actually required to follow those unethical and immoral laws to be a good Mormon as long as those laws are the laws of the country in which you live. It's kind of like the LDS Church's version of the Nuremberg Defense. Because we respect the laws and regulations of the People's Republic of China, the Church does not send proselyting missionaries there nor will we do so now. Right, very important, very important to make sure that the Chinese government understands that the LDS Church is playing by the rules. No Mormon missionaries in China. So there's all sorts of caveats surrounding this announcement of the temple in China that President Nelson made at the end of last general conference. Unfortunately, however, the Chinese government seems to have a different perspective on the announcement. They didn't get the memo. In the April 29, 2020 Salt Lake Tribune, Peggy Fletcher Stack writes an article with the headline, Plans for an LDS Temple in Shanghai May Have Hit an Obstacle. All right, we're almost out of here. Now, from here on, it gets pretty normal. Offices, storerooms, a nice false front. I count to three. Hello, phone one. Yeah, I open that door, and we move out. Everybody got that. Ready? Follow the leader. One, two, three. 
may be trapped. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, thanks for using the correct name, Peggy, may have hit a bump in the road, somewhere between a pebble and a boulder, with its temple plans in Shanghai. On April 5th, during the final session of the Face General Conference, Church President Russell M. Nelson stunned believers with the news that among its new temples would be one in China. Nelson, who has long-standing ties to Shanghai, was careful in how he described the holy place to be established there. In Shanghai, she quotes President Nelson as saying, in Shanghai, a modest, multi-purpose meeting place will provide a way for Chinese members to continue to participate in ordinances of the temple for them and their ancestors, Nelson told his global audience. It was prompted in part by the closure of the Hong Kong temple for renovation. He noted the church's legal status in mainland China remains unchanged. It is not legally recognized. By the way, it is up to the Salt Lake Tribune to tell us that fact. When President Nelson says that the legal status in mainland China remains unchanged, what he doesn't say is that it is not legally recognized. But that's the fact, Jack. And it will not send missionaries to that country. In an initial phase of facility use, entry will be by appointment only, he said. The Shanghai Temple will not be a temple for tourists from other countries. The article goes on. Within days of Nelson's remarks, though, the Shanghai Municipal Ethnic and Religious Affairs Bureau. Doesn't that just make you feel good inside to hear that there's an Ethnic and Religious Affairs Bureau in the city of Shanghai? Yes, the Shanghai Municipal Ethnic and Religious Affairs Bureau said twice on its website it knew nothing about a Mormon temple being built in the city of more than 24 million people. In response to a question posed on Weibo, which apparently is the name of China's Twitter, the Bureau first wrote, foreigners are not allowed to establish religious organizations or areas of religious activity within China's borders. And they also wrote, the news that the American Mormon Church announced that it is building a temple came only from the American side. Later, the Shanghai organization repeated the statement about foreigners, insisting it, quote, knew nothing about the American Mormon Church building a so-called temple in Shanghai. This second statement added that it was wishful thinking, not based in reality, according to an independent translation. Neither statement, however, indicates that the temple can't or won't be built. The temple flap was noted in Foreign Policy's April 22nd newsletter. For its part, the church declined to comment on the Shanghai Bureau's statement. Well, it's easy to understand why the church declines to comment on the issue because President Nelson now has Egg Fu Young all over his face. The next section of this article is titled, Talks Can Be Tricky. Every major Chinese city, Shanghai is the nation's largest, has a religious affairs bureau said Frederick Crook, director of research at the China Group in Alpine, who has lived in Shanghai. It's a very powerful organization that controls all religious activities in Shanghai. Any negotiations between Americans and Chinese can be tricky, said Stephen Markscheid, a business consultant in Chicago and a China expert. It is not unusual for the Western Party to think they've got a deal and for the Chinese to deny it, Markscheid said. It happens all the time. As long as you don't draw attention to yourself, he said, you'd have no problem. But this is the problem that President Nelson got himself into is that, first off, I want you to understand, I don't think for a second that President Nelson made this entire idea up that he had a deal for a temple in China. Whether he was actually part of those negotiations or not, I'm sure it's not something he just pulled out of his hat. 
so to speak. I think his problem was that he drew attention to himself by making this announcement even though he tried to couch it in terms that would be acceptable to his Chinese overlords and send them the message that he knows exactly that this does not mean they're going to have missionaries there and all the quids and all the pros and all the quos that were involved in this deal. But he did so on a public platform and publicly drew attention to it. So once again, as this China expert Stephen Markscheid says, as long as you don't draw attention to yourself, he said, you'd have no problem. Marco Marazzi, an Italy-based attorney who has lived and worked in Shanghai for many years, has spent his career helping companies across the world do business in China. He points out that cultural differences and varied expectations often present problems in trying to make agreements. Here's the quote from Marco Marazzi. It is even more complicated. <laughs> it is even more complicated. If you are negotiating with the government, Marazzi said in a phone interview, you have to be sure you are talking to the right person, i.e. which bureau and who they represent. But if you ask if you're talking to the right person, apparently, they might see that as impolite. So you've got to make sure you're talking to the right person, but you can't ask if you're talking to the right person because they would see that as impolite. Yeah, it's difficult to negotiate under those circumstances. East is east and west is west and never the twain shall meet. There can be thousands of issues to deal with every day, Marazzi added, especially now with the COVID-19 crisis, companies going bankrupt, the economy slowing down, and China's trade war with the United States. The temple announcement also came amid Beijing's two-year repression of religions. Wait a second. I thought their constitution allowed freedom of allowed freedom of religious belief to all of its citizens. Oh well, screw the constitution. Beijing is in the middle of a two-year repression of religions. The next quote comes from an Associated Press story in 2018. China's government is ratcheting up a crackdown on Christian congregations in Beijing and several provinces destroying crosses, burning Bibles, shutting churches, and ordering followers to sign papers renouncing their faith. The campaign corresponds with the drive to sinicize religion, S-I-N-I-C-I-Z-E, to sinicize religion by demanding loyalty to the officially atheist Communist Party and eliminating any challenge to its power over people's lives. Yeah, that sounds like the Communist Chinese that we've all come to know and love. Welcome to the People's Republic of China, President Nelson. The Salt Lake Tribune article goes on, on Tuesday, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom issued its annual report, which included this statement. Based on the Chinese government's systematic, ongoing, egregious violations of religious freedom, this commission again finds that China merits designation in 2019 as a country of particular concern. For years, the LDS Church has managed to survive in the world's most populous nation with a history of hostility to religion, by quietly following China's rules. See, we follow the rules. We do everything the way the Chinese tell us to do them. And we hope that in return for our slavish obedience and turning a blind eye to the repressive regime there and not making a fuss about their egregious violations of religious freedom, that we will be thrown a bone or two along the way. And the bone that we wanted here and the bone we thought we had and the bone that was announced by President Nelson was a temple in Shanghai. In Beijing, for instance, the article goes on, Chinese and expatriate members meet in separate spaces. So they're not allowed to meet together. They meet in separate spaces in a high-rise with no signage of Latter-day Saint services there. Is this the modest multi-purpose area that President Nelson was telling us about? So they meet in a high-rise secretly. Apparently, it's okay with the Chinese government or at least some people in the Chinese government, as long as you don't announce it publicly, but you can't have any signage. You have to meet there 
without really letting anybody know other than the people who are meeting there and the Chinese government, of course, that you are a religious organization. And this actually links to another article that was written 10 years ago in 2010, once again by Peggy Fletcher Stack for the Salt Lake Tribune. I want to go into this a bit here. There is no hint of a Mormon presence in the high-rise where the Beijing LDS branches meet. Visitors must pass through a lobby featuring several boutiques, including a liquor store, find their way to the elevator, take it to the fourth floor, and then stroll down a long hallway. No familiar logo above the door. No church name or meeting times on the directories. And every Sunday, as expatriates gather for their weekly services, the branch president reads an official statement from the pulpit explaining to any new members or visitors that proselytizing is forbidden. See, there's one of those friendly rules that the church follows. So is distributing LDS literature or mingling with Mormons who are Chinese nationals and meet separately. Hang on a second. I think I just realized that when President Nelson is giving all these caveats as to this new temple, what he's doing is he is publicly following the Chinese policies. If the branch president every Sunday has to read an official statement from the pulpit explaining to any new members or visitors that proselytizing is forbidden, then when President Nelson is making the same announcement in general conference in conjunction with his announcement of the new temple, he really is making that announcement for the Chinese government because he wants them to know that he's following their policies of making this announcement, that the church is going to follow every one of the Chinese policies in this regard to the world at the same time as he's announcing the temple. When I said that all these caveats sounded like President Nelson was talking more to the Chinese government than to the Latter-day Saints, I thought I was just kidding. Way to carry the chai comms water, President Nelson. Talk about your Manchurian candidate. So is distributing LDS literature or mingling with Mormons who are Chinese nationals and meet separately. Well, he makes that announcement too, doesn't he? He is a good boy, that President Nelson. Very, very good. Uh, feel pretty good. <laughs> and I'm not... Uh not scared at all. I just feel kind of, feel kind of invincible. <laughs> me too. I got a very positive attitude about this. Good, me too. Yeah. Is it getting hot in here or is it just me? None of that is likely to change with Monday's announcement. Once again, this is from 2010, right? None of that is likely to change with Monday's announcement that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has held high-level talks that are expected to lead to regularized church operations in China. Well, that's 10 years ago. It doesn't sound like those operations are too regularized yet. So what does regularizing mean? Even longtime China scholars such as Brigham Young University political scientist Eric Heyer aren't sure. So in other words, 10 years ago, the church announced high-level talks with Chinese government in order to regularize relations, but really that term doesn't mean anything at all. Nobody can figure out what it's supposed to mean. The whole issue of religion in China is irregular, said Heyer, who directs BYU's Asian Studies program and who spent the summer in Beijing. The Chinese government recognizes only five religious groups, Catholics, Protestants, Buddhists, Muslims, and Taoists. Mormonism, which did not break off from other forms of Christianity, dang it, but rather claims to be the restoration of Jesus' original church does not fit into any of those groups. Come on, guys. You should be able to figure out a way to call yourself Protestants at least and get in there. Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? Who? Jack Burton. Me. Old Jack always says, what the hell? 
As religions have become more and more common in China and as religion is more freely practiced, government officials are left with this straitjacket of categories, Heyer said. They don't know what to do. Are they going to create a new category? So that, he said, has left Mormonism in a kind of legal limbo. Chinese nationals who join the LDS Church elsewhere have formed branches throughout the country. Some of their family members have been allowed to be baptized into the church, but none of them may meet with expatriates. Expatriates, Heyer said, must send their tithing directly to church headquarters rather than to local leaders because the church does not have a bank account there. They don't even have a bank account. Talk about not recognized by the government. When some wild-eyed, eight-foot-tall maniac grabs your neck, taps the back of your favorite head up against a barroom wall, and he looks at crooked in the eye, and he asks you if you've paid your dues. Well, you just stare that big sucker right back in the eye, and you remember what old Jack Burton always says at a time like that. Have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir, the check is in the mail. This move to regularize church operations may make official what's being done unofficially now, he said. Government leaders may be wanted to help facilitate the church's activities financially and legally without recognizing it. One thing is clear, the LDS Church has seen potential for growth in China, and to that end is determined to maintain a good relationship with Beijing. And the article goes on, but I'm not going to read any more of it. Going back to the recent article about the Shanghai government's repudiation, of President Nelson's temple announcement, we left off where we read, in Beijing, for instance, Chinese and expatriate members meet in separate spaces in a high rise with no signage of Latter-day Saint services there. As attendees gather for their separate weekly services, the branch president reads an official statement from the pulpit explaining to any new members or visitors that proselytizing is forbidden. Apparently, that's still going on 10 years later. So is distributing church literature or members of the two groups mingling. The church organized its first branches for Chinese members in 2004, according to independent Latter-day Saint demographer Matt Martinich, and today has a presence in most of China's major cities. There appear to be at least 10,000 Latter-day Saints in the People's Republic of China, the vast majority of whom are likely PRC citizens. Shanghai is one of the three major church centers in the PRC for both foreign and PRC citizens, the others being Beijing and Guangzhou. Guangzhou. I'm guessing I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. Periodically, a representative of China's government attends services in Beijing, members say. Well, of course, keep your friends close and your enemies closer, and reports back to party bosses what happens there. Members in China wonder if similar checks will take place in a temple. Well, I guess they don't have to worry about it too much since apparently that temple's not going to happen. Will an undercover representative show up regularly for religious rituals there to observe the ceremonies and relay that to government officials? Well, yeah, I'm sure that they will. You think the Chinese government wants to allow people to meet in secret and talk among themselves and do God knows what in a temple in Shanghai without the government knowing what it is they're doing? The Utah-based Faith reported in 2010 that it was engaged in high-level talks that were expected to lead to regularized church operations in China. So once again, 10 years later, hasn't happened yet. It goes on to say, though, nearly 10 years later, some of the credit for the planned Shanghai temple likely is due to Nelson, a former cardiac surgeon who long has had a warm spot in his heart for China. In 1980, he trained doctors in China, and it was there in 1985 that he performed his last open-heart surgery. Well, that has been kind of a long time ago. In 2015, though, he was honored by physicians he trained at the Shandong University School of Medicine. And in January, the church sent two plane loads of protective medical equipment to the Children's Medical Center in Shanghai to help deal with the coronavirus outbreak. So yes, the church has been doing everything it possibly can to ingratiate itself 
with China in hopes of getting this new multi-purpose building used as a temple. But President Nelson, thinking it was safe to do so, announced it publicly in April of 2020. And on the heels of that came a denial of those temple plans from the friendly government officials in Shanghai. Okay, so that's a brief rundown of the on-again, off-again temple announcement in Shanghai, China. Hopefully, the LDS Church is now working behind the scenes to patch up relations with the Chinese government so that they can move forward with their temple there without announcing it publicly. I mean, what is the good of having a temple if you can't announce it? Well, in China, it seems that you may not be able to have a temple if you do announce it. So best to keep your cards close to your vest on this one from here on out, President Nelson. Just some friendly advice from Radio Free Mormon. Well, that's about all for tonight. Remember, in the midst of this worldwide pandemic, wash your hands frequently with soap and hot water. Stay away from crowds. Maintain good social distancing of at least six feet from the nearest person. If you have to cough, cough into your elbow and not upon your neighbor. And together, we will lick this coronavirus. I've picked out this closing song especially for you, President Nelson. It's not always easy working with the Chinese government. In fact, sometimes it can be downright lonely. Until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon, signing off the air. I'm so lonely, so lonely, so lonely and sad real alone. Dead no one, just me only. Sitting on my riddle throne I work weary hard and make up great plans But nobody listens, no one understands Seems right, no one takes me seriously And so, I'm roaring A bit of roaring Siri, but not really, because it's filling my body with rage. I'm the smartest, most clever, most physically fit, but nobody else seems to realize it. When I change the world, maybe they'll notice me. And until then, I'll just be lonely. Yeah, riddle, roundry, Paul.